The good news is that you don't need to sit down and read the Bible from cover to cover in one massive chunk. All you need to do is read it one bit at a time. G'day everyone, my name is Mark Schroeder and welcome to Schroeder's Bible Bits. I'm a college chaplain and my job is to teach children and youth the wonderful truths that are found in God's Word, the Bible. I speak at chapels, at youth services, at church services, I teach at kids clubs and lunchtime Bible groups. Uh, At all of these places, I always teach from the Bible because I'm convinced that from the Bible, we get to learn about God and how He has loved us and how He has saved us through Jesus. Tune in and continue to learn about Jesus for yourself, not in one chunk, but bit by bit. Uh, Hi everyone, here's the fourth talk um, from the series that I've done for staff during our PD week um, Bible sessions. Uh, This is from a series called Back to Basics where we focus in on the first chapters of Genesis, uh, Genesis 1 to 3. Uh, In this talk we look back at the moment where God curses because of sin, um, but rather than focus on the curse, we look past that to identify the moments where we still see God's grace and mercy and uh, we focus particularly on the the fact that God promises to send um, a serpent crusher, and we know, of course, that that serpent crusher is Jesus. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome. Um, so today, here we are. This is our last official Bible talk today on Genesis, as we've been looking through Genesis one to three, um, and our the title of this one is called the Serpent Crushing Kin, K I N. So yesterday we faced the the grim reality. Uh, uh, like it was a hard talk to hear, it's a hard talk to give, but yesterday we faced the grim and the tragic reality for everybody that we are all under a curse um, because of sin. Sin affects everybody uh, and everyone uh, everywhere, and it's literally turned everything upside down. Um, after everything that we have seen in Genesis 1, everything started so beautifully with such very good order and purpose and intention uh, yesterday in Genesis 3, we saw how humanity falls from, remember I said, the pinnacle to the pit. Um, even so, as we, as we read and as we watch that disaster unfold, um, there are a few moments which I think we ought to look at because they should encourage us. And um, Because as we look back at Genesis chapter 3, we're going to see that salvation is coming. Uh, redemption is near and it's just around the corner. Um, The good news of the gospel is still right here in this passage, even in the middle of a moment where God is actually laying down a very serious and a very tragic curse. So today what we're going to do is we're going to glance back at some of the moments in Genesis chapter 3 and look particularly at the moment of the curse and of sin. Um, But among it, we're actually going to see God who is merciful, God who is gracious, And we're going to see God who actually has a saviour in mind, even right back then. A moment after they had sinned, God is intentional with going, you know what? There's going to be a saviour who's going to come. And today, hopefully as we look at this little part of Genesis chapter 3, we will see the beautiful gospel that we all believe, but also which we as a college stand upon. So uh, let's, let's pray this morning as we, as we come to think about God and his word uh, for clarity of mind, for, for removal of distraction, and then we'll jump in and, and read Genesis 3, 7 to 24. Uh, please join me as we pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for a new day. Uh, thank you for an opportunity that we have now to, 
uh, begin our day um, by setting our minds uh, on you and your word. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would encourage us this morning as we um, discover maybe afresh, maybe for the first time, maybe today that we would just be reminded um, of the beautiful truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, Please encourage us in heart and please motivate us by these wonderful true things that we believe. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, I'm going to read uh, again. I mean, it's the part that we read out yesterday um, from Genesis chapter 3. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm just going to read from Genesis chapter 3, uh, verses 6 to 24. Uh, it's on the handout that I sent you last night. So uh, follow along if you've got it there or up on your screen as I project it just now. It says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Keep your eyes peeled, right? The moments are coming. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you've done? The woman said, "The, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly. You will eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken for dust you are and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. <clears throat> Excuse me. So having rewound now and read once again the end of this chapter from Genesis chapter 3, I wonder if you are able to look past the curse. I wonder if you saw here God's grace, if you saw here his mercy, if you saw here God's intention to, even now in Genesis chapter 3, um, save people from their sin. The first one comes straight away, straight after they have sinned, I think. Um, I think it's incredible that, remember, God said, if you eat the tree, then you will certainly die. But actually, incredibly, they did not physically die straight away. Instead, what do we see here? 
Well, what we see is that God comes down and he walks among them in the garden and he seeks the man and the woman out. God knows exactly what they have done. Don't think he doesn't know that he's still like playing hide and seek. Remember, God is the all-seeing and the all-knowing God of the universe. And he, even though he knows that they have sinned, he still seeks them out nevertheless. Sort of like a father to a naughty child. God says, where are you? Why are you there? Is that where you should be? Come out and face me. God draws Adam and Eve out from their hiding rather than driving them out with a big stick. He he didn't ask, where are you hiding? But he just simply asked, where are you? Notice the difference between those two things. In God's question, there's not even a hint of accusation. God sort of nudged Adam to come to his senses. And so even here, as the judgment begins, as God is about to hand out this judgment call, this judgment decision, we actually see that God's grace is on display. And isn't this just the same way that God treats us too? Remember yesterday we read from Romans chapter 3 verse 11 where it says that there is no one who seeks God, all have turned away. So our fall away from God due to sin only means that we, in our own strength and in our own wisdom, will only ever want to hide from God. That's what sin will do for us. Don't be fooled into thinking that you seek God based on your own efforts while you were dead in your sin. Because of your sin, you will only ever want to hide from God. But the truth of God's word is that God seeks us out. And we only begin to deal with our sin when God says, where are you? Even when we are turned away from God, God seeks us out. As I read this moment, I couldn't help but think about um, the shepherd with the hundred sheep. He's got a hundred sheep, but one of them goes missing. And so what does he do? He leaves the uh, leaves 99 and he goes out and he looks for the one. He goes and he seeks it. He looks for it. He finds it and he brings it home. And this is exactly what Jesus does for us. He seeks us out and he brings us home. Perhaps this morning God is calling you afresh. Come out of your hiding place, from your self-accusation, from your covering, your secrecy, your self-torment, from your vain regret. Come out to God who seeks you even in the middle of your sin. God has saved you by his son. So after calling people out from their sin, from their hiding, and after hearing about the sin of humanity, God does move ahead and he does deliver the curse. As we saw yesterday, he starts with the serpent. But did you notice the significant glint of the gospel here in the text? Actually, I think it's more than just a glimmer. I think this is massive. In chapter 3, verse 15, God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. As I was doing some reading and thinking about this, I've discovered that since 2nd century AD, since so long ago, this moment in Genesis has been formally known as the first gospel. Because he actually is the good news for all people. See, even though that we sin, God will rise up someone who is going to crush Satan. In fact, one of Adam and Eve's own children is going to be that one. They're going to be one of the people that rises up. 
And so what's cool is that in cooperation here, together as husband and wife, Adam and Eve would actually bring about the defeat of the serpent. A human offspring, the seed of Eve, will crush and bring a death blow to the serpent. Now, this is more than just talking about a hatred for snakes by humans here in the text. I mean, after all, there are some crazy people out in the world that actually love snakes, right? But this is actually talking about much, much more than just humans hating snakes. Now, this is about a new Adam who is going to come and who is going to come to stand the test and to not fall into the temptation of Satan. This is about the new Adam who's going to actually listen to God's word rather than disregard it. This is about the new Adam that will actually come and in complete obedience to God, he would actually, in fact, as we know, go to the cross. Here in Genesis 3, we have a prophecy about the cross of Christ where Satan would strike his heel, the heel of Christ as he suffered on the cross, but also where Christ would crush the head of the serpent through his death and his resurrection. We need Jesus, the serpent-crushing king. That's what we should be thinking right here as we look at this part of the Bible. We need Jesus. He is the crushing serpent kin. For as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Meditate on those verses for a moment. How incredible that even as early as here in Genesis, God knew what was coming and he knew what he wanted to communicate about the new Adam, about about Jesus, about the Christ. God wanted us to know that from the start that Jesus was coming, that he was the new, the better Adam, the ultimate offspring of Eve. That God, in chapter 3, verse 15, he curses Satan, but in the process, he proclaims grace through Jesus Christ, his son. Jesus, the second Adam, who will crush Satan by his great work on the cross. I think that it's worth mentioning here that this imagery, though, wasn't a surprise to Jesus. Jesus knew all about this. And in fact, we see this from John chapter 3, verse 16. Well, verse 14 to 16. These verses help us to see and to understand that Jesus knew that he was the antidote to the serpent's venom. This is what it says in John 3, 14 to 16. This is on your handout. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. In this part of John's gospel, Jesus is referencing Numbers chapter 21. Go back and read it one day. Um, And this is a time when Israel had sinned and God, in his judgment of sinful Israel, sends a whole stack of poisonous snakes. And it's a big judgment call. Interesting that it's a perfect expression of sin sent as a snake. And the thing was that the, the, the snakes were biting God's people and they were getting sick and they were dying. But as a cure... The people needed to look to a fancy staff that God told Moses to make for them. A staff with a fiery bronze snake on it. And if anyone looked at the staff, then they would be healed from any snake bite that they had received. Well, yesterday we learnt that our very nature is affected by the poison of sin. And yet here, even in the midst of paradise lost of Genesis chapter 3, we discover that a saviour is here who we can look to. 
Jesus and his work on the cross is, is what we look to so that we can receive the antidote to the poison of the original viper, the antidote to sin. Here is God's grace. God's curse upon Satan meant that his own son would one day become a curse for us. Satan would strike his heel, but the wound received would mean that the son would in fact strike the death blow to Satan. This curse from God to the serpent is all about Jesus. Verse 15 is all about Jesus, the serpent crushing kin. Things move on in this curse. And and we saw that yesterday. Things move on. And yet there are more things to be seen here about God's grace and mercy. In fact, as Adam is preparing to leave the garden, I don't know if you noticed that God, sorry, that Adam renames his wife. Earlier he had named her woman, which literally means of man. Remember, Eve was made of his side. And so Adam calls her woman, which means of man. But now he calls her Eve. And Eve literally means life or life giver. And so the text says, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. Now, what's exciting to see is that Adam has actually been listening here to the words of God. This is really exciting that Adam has paid attention to the things of God as just said about the seed who is coming to crush the serpent. And Adam actually applies his learning. He calls the woman Eve the mother of the living. Sure, she will be the mother of all the preceding children, but but keep in mind that she will be the mother of the future saviour. The saviour who brings life to everyone. Eve really is the mother of the living, the mother of those who've who've been made alive in Christ. See, here again, we're reminded about the grace of God. But there's more. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. The Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Remember that the first thing people realize upon eating the fruit is that they are naked. And so the consequence of their their sin was shame. Even so, God is gracious and active here in this verse, isn't he? He provides for these people even after they have been blatantly disrespectful and had a disregard for God's word, and, and God makes an animal sacrifice and uses the animal skin to create clothing for them. You see, God is active. He is working, and he provides a sacrifice. He uses a sacrifice to cover shame and to restore relationships. Just as the Levitical priests in the Old Testament, I'm sure they would have looked back at this moment in awe, So we ought to also look at it in awe because we know that Jesus is our one sacrifice sent by God, don't we? That Jesus is our sacrificial lamb, the one who is provided by God to cover up our shame. It's interesting that it is necessary for God to work here. Remember the human efforts, how pathetic they were, sort of as they were running away from the fruit tree, realizing that they were naked, they sort of grab a handful of bushes, a handful of fig leaves and and try and sew them around their body as if that was going to do a proper job. The human efforts here to cover their shame was completely inadequate. And isn't this just like the way that God makes us one with himself here? We are completely inadequate by ourselves. 
We need God to come and make atonement for our sin. We need God to come and intervene on our behalf. We need a death payment on our behalf. We need Jesus, the serpent crushing kin. And here in verse 21, we have this first animal sacrifice, which actually ends up reminding us of the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now, the last verse that I want to focus in here on this section is verse 23. We see it says, So the Lord God banished him, Adam and Eve, from the Garden of Eden. He banished Adam from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. Be encouraged again here by the grace of God. Even though the curse had just been handed down to humanity, their identity is still there as image bearers. It's not taken away. The fall does not change the mandate from God to mankind to be the rulers of God's creation. Um, They still have this job to work and to keep the creation. Sure, it's going to be different, and we learn that from the curse, don't we? That it's going to be toilsome. By the sweat of his brow, he will work the soil. But their work as image bearers still remains. See, the point being that work is a meaningful opportunity here for acts of service and worship. Adam still gets to relate to God. To, to work and rest like God. Now, what a privilege of grace that humans can still work like God and still image him to the world and still even have the privilege of revealing him to all of creation. What a privilege. We also, we get to serve God in work, right? And because it is all about worship and service of God, then this directs the way that we ought to work. Our work today should not be dodgy. It shouldn't be half-hearted. Like we found out yesterday in our well-being meeting, procrastination is bad. But here, right, from the text, we discover that work shouldn't be something that we procrastinate in. We should not waste time. We should not be dishonest in the way that we manage our time, the way that we work. Because as we work, we actually serve God in our work as his image bearers. And this was something that Adam and Eve could actually continue on in even after their ejection from the garden. For Adam and Eve, they're sent out of the garden. There was no going back to the garden. And I I want to say that this would be sad if it was not for the rest of the biblical story. Because don't forget that the Bible story continues. And the Bible lifts our eyes now to a new creation. Something that is better than the garden. The Bible lifts our eyes to a new heaven and a new earth. It's not a garden, but it's a city in Revelation 21-22. A city of perfection and God's eternal presence. A city with no curse and only of eternal produce from the tree of life. A city filled with all of God's people only because of Jesus, the serpent-crushing king. We've seen this first gospel here about the serpent-crushing king. And hopefully today you're reminded to believe afresh that he came because God so loved the world. Jesus, his one and only son, came so that whoever would believe in him, the serpent crushing kin, shall not perish but have eternal life. Because this is what we as Christians believe. These are the basic things of our faith. But here we have seen the gospel in action. This is God's grace right here and right now. So ask yourself, 
Do you believe it? Do you actually believe this? Do you love it? More than anything else, this is what gives you life. Are you actively pursuing it so that you would grow in it? Personally, right? It's important to grow in this beautiful truth that we have. But are you growing in it and are you ready to share it? Like I said on Monday, we want you to think about this stuff deeply and personally. And we want you to apply it personally for yourself. It matters that you believe this because it matters that you are one of God's people who is found in eternity. But we also want you to apply it here professionally at our school. To share the wonderful gospel message with students, with parents, with one another. After all, this is what our college stands on. We stand on life through Christ. And so maybe the next time you see our motto, life through Christ, maybe you will think about it like this. We believe in life through Christ, the serpent crushing kin. Let's pray now as we get into our day. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your work in saving us. We thank you for your amazing grace. It is so beautiful to look at, uh, to understand, to wrestle with. Lord, please help us not to disregard it, no matter how many times we hear it. Please help us to fully seek to understand just how much you have loved the world, that you would send Jesus for us. Thank you that Jesus has crushed the serpent, and so we can look forward and anticipate a beautiful day when we get to live with you for all of eternity. Lord, please help us to be people, help us to be a place which proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would reveal yourself to many here at our school so that many, many, many people would live a life through Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening, everyone. You can get in contact with me via Twitter at MRK Schroeder or on the Anchor app, you can actually leave a voice message. I'd love you to do that and I might include it in the next podcast. Catch you later.